Hey folks, it's Tabby from Modern Life Pod. You can always find us at Modern Life Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Our website is modernlifepodcast.com. Also send us an email, modernlifepod at gmail.com. I have a really special guest on today, Kaylee from Literary Penguins on Instagram, where she posts brilliant book reviews. We're going to be talking about Jamaica Inn by Daphne du Maurier. It's our second Daphne du Maurier episode, and I'm really excited for it. You can also find her on Shaped by Stories, another really great book podcast where she recently did an episode on Jane Eyre. So go ahead and check that out, and we'll get started with the show. Thanks for listening. I set off alone on a journey to a place far away from everything I'd ever known. I had no family left to me except an aunt I'd met just once. It was there I was headed, to the ends of the earth, to Bob Moore. All righty. Got Kaylee here with me today. And Kaylee, what's your modern thought? What you got for us? Okay, so I got this in an email yesterday, but... The headline was, Dad B should stop drinking six months before conception for baby's heart health. And as a woman who has a child and who's, like, trying to conceive, like, that's, like, the worst thing for us is, like, having to limit everything else that, like, what we intake. Like, for me, I don't drink, but, like, you got to stop coffee. You have to do all this stuff. Mm. And so for me to see a headline where it's, like, Dad should stop Six months before they even think they want to have a kid made me so happy. Like, I was like, aha, all is in your court. Y'all have to do the sobriety thing way before. <laughs> I ha- I didn't know anything about that. So that's what they recommend? No. Yeah, apparently it like leads, there's a link between the amount of drinking a father does between a year and six months before even like with their sperm and everything, like how it reacts. And it leads to congenitive heart failures and heart disease in babies. Like, that's one of the, when they see that happening in babies, they've correlated it back to the father and the mother's drinking habits. So oh. it's not just on the mom, it's the dad, too. Yeah, you never hear that. You always hear about the no. mom. Yeah. I wonder yeah, so if, that like, applies, if that applies to um, drug consumption as well. I'm sure there, I'm sure there is some sort of link because... Like, we all know, like, I'm housing the baby, I'm the woman, but your genes and your genetics are half of the, half of the thing, too. So, that, that's totally one part of it that could totally be affected before. And so, we struggle with infertility. I have unexplained infertility. And, like, the amount of science, I had no idea, like, goes into just, like, a man's sperm sample and, like, what can make his sperm actually good or not. Like blew my mind. So when I read things like this, I'm like, aha, it makes sense. Huh. There's reasons. That's fascinating. Yeah. Huh. A lot to say sperm, but there you go. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really good one. Um, so mine is actually a cookbook. It's called The Art of Chocolate by Elaine Gonzalez, and she's since uh, she's passed away, but mm-hmm. I love eating chocolate like everybody else uh-huh. and this yes. cookbook is just very approachable in explaining how to temper chocolate at home and kind of starts you off in steps that are easy to understand and then the difficulty level gradually goes up and I can only recommend it it really makes the whole working with chocolate it makes it make sense and it makes it into something that you can do at home 
and it's just really well written and there's a lot of great pictures in it so yeah the art of chocolate oh my gosh i need that if i've learned <laughs> anything from the great british bake-off it's that chocolate is our worst nemesis when it comes to light cooking yeah except you're not like out in tropical weather like they're always out in that tent right and there's no air conditioning yeah. <laughs> and like they have to make chocolate collars or whatever exactly and i'm like this does not work how <laughs> yeah that would be excellent to have i love the great british bake-off it's the best it is the best i uh caught up on the last couple episodes and i was like eh. I, I may have cried the last one i was like so happy <laughs> i it's weird because now they're publishing it episode by episode, right? So I have, I'm like waiting for yeah. all the episodes to be up so I can binge it, but I should just, just start watching it. it. Yeah. I know. I, I was like, oh, it's on. And I watched the first episode and realized, oh my gosh, I have to wait this week. And so I thought the same thing. I'll just wait. But then every time I would log in and it would have a new episode, I just would cave. But it's so hard to watch it one at a time. <laughs> but it's because um, PBS like lost the rights. And so when, like, when they're right flat from BBC or ITV, I can't remember which one produces it over in the UK, but, um, Netflix snatched it up. And so that's where we got, like, last season, like, right after it ended in the UK. Mm-hmm. But now we're watching it along with them. And I'm like, no, no, I like having this all at once. <laughs> yeah. Um, perfect. But yeah, let's get started on the main topic Jamaica in by Daphne du Maurier. How, have you read a lot of books by her? I've read three, four. I've only I've read, read three. Four. Oh, you've read four. Wow. Well, I've read a sh- I've read some short stories, so I count that as like four because I have like a, a bind up of like short stories, like I keep the bird. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I've read my cousin Rachel, Meg, and Rebecca, and then next month I plan on reading Frenchman's Creek. I'm excited about that one. Oh, yeah, I really want to read that one too. I haven't gotten into it yet, though. It's got legit pirates in it, so I'm excited. <laughs> this one almost has pirates in it, not quite. Yes, it is. It does. It's record. Let's just give a little bit of a synopsis. So it takes place in Regency, England, and it's about mm-hmm. Mary Ellen, who has lost all her other family, so she goes to live with her aunt at Jamaica Inn, but when she gets there, she finds out that her aunt is in an abusive relationship, and her uncle's also a criminal, a smuggler, so she's Mm -hmm. just kind of trying to get her aunt out of there, and yeah, save herself, save her aunt. I know. It's a a really good book. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love it, because it is Regency England, but like, we are so far removed from like Kent and Jane, like Jane Austen mm, right now. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're in the wild of the Cornish countryside. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, same time period, but definitely different vibe. And it's Daphne du Maurier was, she loved the Brontes. And you can tell yeah. this, this is inspired and kind of almost like a fanfic of Wuthering Heights. Totally. It like, it, when anyone tells me they like Wuthering Heights, like, you need to read this book. It is the closest thing you're going to get to, like, Emily writing someone else. But the thing yeah. that I found also really interesting is the very beginning. Have you ever read Dracula? I have, yes. And I love that book so much. I've read it twice. But the very beginning is the exact same as Jonathan's journey up to Castle Dracula. 
and yes. and it's almost like that first part of Dracula where he arrives at the castle and you don't know what's happening. It's almost like Daphne just like hits you over the head, like, "Oh no, this isn't subtle." Because as soon as as soon as she gets there, and everybody's told her along the way, "Oh, you can't go there. Like, it's a bad place." Yeah. But as soon as she gets there, the uncle is just like not yeah, subtle in like, any way. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, "Oh well, this is how things are going to be now." Like, yeah, you know, it definitely. Is. I never had put that together, but it really does like the same vibe and you know like um dracula was written by bronx Stoker, but he got inspired by a coastal city which he talked about in their whitby with the abbey and that's up in Yorkshire too where the broncos are from so it's like that same wild kind of hmm. vibe inspired him and so maybe he took inspiration from him too interesting interesting yeah, yeah. the the uncle the uncle has been criticized I think by one of Daphne DeMario's friends and also other people as too much of a caricature, like, too, you know, too forceful yeah. and too, like, yeah, he's just a brute. I, I think it really works in this, though. It, it does. And I just thought to say, like, it's literature. So, like, we're allowed to make characters out of our characters. <laughs> you know, like, one of those things that helped drive the story and they people like your heroine and the actual villain like makes them that more real because he's not you know yeah yeah so you watched the 2014 series oh yeah and i loved it have, apparently a bunch of brits did it but i did <laughs> i honestly because i looked up the criticism for that show and it said that it was hard to understand people, and I honestly, yes, and have to have subtitles. I had to turn on the subtitles. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm one of those people. <laughs> no, I always, I always watch the subtitles anyway, so I was totally fine. And then I was like, this is really interesting because that was my introduction to Jamaica. Inn. Like, I didn't even know who Daphne was. Oh, and, um, and so I like was scrolling. I was sick one day, and I was scrolling through Netflix. And I'm one of those people, like, I'm not a purist. I'm like, I have to read the book before I see the movie. Like, I can appreciate both in their own artistic right. Same. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, watched it. Like, oh, I should know more about this. Like, it's got, you know, three big uh, actors in it. And so when I looked it up and I saw that it was a book, I was like, what? But that was the first article that came up was, like, I think one from, like, BBC or something or The Guardian being like, hey, you're going to need subtitles. And it's true like they're like whispered talking in the craziest all the time like, accent. i'm the accent doesn't even bother me but i'm like is this an asmr video like why are you whispering all the time <laughs> like i can't they are, just like drunk grumble whispering like the whole time and you're just like i gotta have that subtitle <laughs> <laughs> yeah unfortunately that criticism is valid <laughs> very valid <laughs> So I also watched the um, the eighty three version of this, and then also the Hitchcock version from nineteen thirty nine. Which I don't. Did you, where did you find the Hitchcock version? Because I want to watch that one. Did it's, you like find it online to stream? It's free on YouTube. Um, it, what? Yeah, it really doesn't have much to do with Jamaica in at all. Oh, okay, good to know. So. The whole movie, so Hitchcock didn't have a lot of creative control like the way we're used to Hitchcock mm-hmm. movies now, because this was in his earlier career when he was still living in um, in the UK. 
And the whole movie is this vehicle for this actor, Charles Lafton, who is the villain in this. And instead of being the priest, he's actually the squire. But the whole movie, really? it centers around him. And it was so... Dude, he's like a pretty minor character in the book. Right. Like he's there, but like barely. Right. And, Interesting. and then Jem is, instead of being a brother, he's like a secret undercover uh, officer of the law who has <laughs> infiltrated which, these smugglers. <laughs> which, like, Jem, if he knew that, if you were a real person and knew that was how he was being portrayed, he'd be like, oh, heck no. <laughs> but I would never. <laughs> Charles Lafton is, A, he's got these crazy eyebrows, and B, you can just really? tell that he needs to be on screen and take up as much time as possible. And you can you can just tell the ego from watching it. And then it becomes just a performance that I'm watching and just an actor instead of this overarching story. Like, he's constantly, yeah. he's fidgeting with props all the time. Like, he'll pick up a feather to write something and he's just banging it against a table the whole time. No. He has a lot of repetitive dialogue because... I don't even know if that's written in or he's just ad-libbing it because he's like, oh, I just need to keep talking. Like, at one point, he's like writing a letter and he dips the quill into the ink once and then just keeps writing it. So so the first letter has a little bit of ink, but then he's just writing nothing. Like, you don't see any ink and he just keeps writing and writing on a blank piece of paper. We've learned anything from period dramas. We know you need to dip that thing like every other letter. Yeah. (laughs) So it was, it was just, yeah, and the movie also doesn't have any music in it. It's just the sound of wind the whole time or silence. It's really not one of Hitchcock's, like, quintessential, you know, works of art, I would say. Which is interesting because he's adapted, I think, a few of her works. Yeah, Rebecca and, so, and the Birds. I'm curious about this now. Yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't like the movie himself, I think, just because he didn't have any control Control over it and then also the way they portray mary yellen the one interesting change was that she actually saves the ship at the end when they take her there so she's able to really yeah to like turn out the light or turn on the light or whatever and it, it saves the ship i thought that was pretty cool but then she she gets kidnapped by the squire by the evil guy uh-huh. and he kills her uncle and her aunt in front of him for for no reason because he like tells her right Whoa. away that he's he's like oh i'm the evil guy he then like kidnaps her threatens her with you know rape and forced marriage and she's crying the whole time and then when jem saves her and is about to shoot the squire she yells no don't harm him he doesn't know what he's doing and it's this trope that i've talked about before on the podcast of women always needing to be non-violent even if it yeah, makes no, no sense even if they've just seen their family members murdered by someone else or even if you know they're in mortal danger like, give me the gun yeah <laughs> it was not a very faithful portrayal of any of the characters i just looked it up on youtube and it, or not youtube but like i was like looking this up and it says hitchhawk himself was disgusted with the film oh snap before it's finished <laughs> And he said that it was completely absurd. <laughs> That's the quote. That's a good word for it. Yeah. It is a little absurd. Yeah. I just, because like that's one of the cool things. That only, I think the adaptation 2014 one is like pretty decent. 
and faithful to the story overall. But, like, the story itself, like, how Daphne has, like, crafted it, like, you're just like, I know there's another villain here, but, like, that reveal is, like, huge. Oh, it didn't, I thought it was Jem the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and, like, back then, like, I feel like words like that shocking. And, like, this is one where I'm like, no, this, like, the whole time I was like, and, and I mean, I knew it was thicker, but even reading it, I'm like, I don't know, maybe the adaptation, like, did it different? Like, I was just second-guessing everything. So, for this, like, 1939 film to be, like, completely just, like, in your face with it, I'm like, oh, that's, like, the beauty of, like, how she wrote this, is that it's, like, shocking when you figure it out. Yeah, I mean, all all her stories that I've read are, are like that. Throwback, like, the perfect gothic, when you got the heroin in it that's just like so good but like also conflicted and you've got like the villain and the setting you know and so it's like they really are like pure gothic yeah and it's like and she does it so well so yeah it's, it's she she really does have like a gift like her other books too i'm just like like i remember reading rebecca and i like rebecca good but not like i love jamaica and and i think my cousin rachel is pretty amazing so when everyone's like reading rebecca first i'm like yeah it's okay um oh hot take then, like, hot take over here <laughs> i know i know people are always like what and i'm like i mean it's okay <laughs> i don't know like i just i feel like like it is shocking that one is really good and how she cracked that story is awesome like you don't even know the new Mrs. DeWinter's name, like, right. she's, like, this narrator. But, like, I just thought it's, like, to make it, was, like, so shocking, so shocking to me. And it really does, like, capture that whole, like, moody vibe of Cornwall. Like, it was, like, a lawless land unto itself at that time period because, if you look at a map of England, it's, like, the boot. It's so far removed from, like, London mm-hmm. and law. And so it really was, like, England's wild west. And so... I feel like that this book like, really captures that, where like the other ones are set in Cornwall, but I'm like, you know, this is like a really cool England's vibe Wild that you get. West. I like that. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like they still kind of are a little bit today. But I mean you got things like what Foldark is set there. And I mean Ross is just like the epitome of like where's the law. <laughs> so it's just I feel like there's like their nature there. Like they just they were so far removed from everything that they could have, like, really cool, like, wreckers and smugglers and, you know, it was just, like, a really interesting part of the country for that time period. Yeah, and it seems, that's what I love about this. It seems so real, but then when I looked it up, this wrecking thing, it, that was never a thing. Yeah, like, it's, like, a part of Cornish folklore, I guess. I'm sure it happened, but not on the scale that, like, they show it in this. And it's funny because it, like, just brought up in Fold Art, too. And so that's where I was like, this has to be a thing. Because, like, multiple Cornish authors are writing about this. But it certainly is not. Because no. it was so frowned upon. But if you think about it, it's like, you, like, especially in Jamaica and, like, they're, they're totally fine murdering all the people on the ship to get what they need. And, like, can you imagine an entire town of people are like, yeah, we're just going to take hundreds of innocent lives to, you know, keep their yellow silk like there probably isn't a reality you know but what i have heard is that when ships wreck that any um merchandise or anything that was on that ship that came ashore was fair game it was no longer anyone's possession 
and people in Cornwall were very forced because there's the farmers from the lawmakers in like in London that like when provisions would come up on shore, like that that did supplement the livelihood of all the poor people of Cornwall. Huh. So like I don't think anyone was out there wrecking or purposely smuggling, but I do think because it is a very jagged, rocky coastline and they've got the channel on one side and they've got the open Atlantic on the other, like there were wrecks that happened along there. And so I think the Cornish people did take advantage of the thing the law that allowed them to take what was coming in. But I don't think anyone felt nefarious and purposely wrecked these ships. And so that's become like the romanticized version of something real in their life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, did the 83 version, it's also free on YouTube, which I don't... It's so freaking long. <laughs> like, Is it? It's not It's not very good. I have this thing about 80s period drama where it's always terrible. Like, the 80s are just not oh, a good yeah. time in period drama. But the thing that really annoyed me about it is the... Mary Ellen is played by Jane Seymour, who was actually a Bond girl, and she's yeah. she's gorgeous. But then in this show, she's wearing red lipstick, she's wearing all the makeup, like eyelashes, and this is like Regency England, right? And she's constantly wearing her hair down, and she doesn't wear a bonnet or anything to, you know, when she leaves the house. And it was something that was so obnoxious to me. And then to see that repeated in the 2014 version, it I I couldn't stop raging about it. And it seems like a stupid little detail. And I know hair and makeup is never on point for period drama because you have to fit it to modern times. But it just upsets me. <laughs> I'm uh, looking at pictures now and it's bothering me. Cause she literally looks like a model. Yeah, because um, I just forgot her name. Jessica Brown Finley, who plays Mary Ellen in the 2014 version, she constantly has her hair down and she never wears any stockings. And she's always pulling yeah, up no. her, her dress and like her entire leg is showing. And yeah. it's like you're trying to be like sexy and you're trying to have this person be attractive, especially on patients. She constantly has her hair down. But I'm yeah. like, but what you're showing me within that time is an example of other things. So pe when people had their hair down, that meant that they were younger because only kids yeah. had their hair down. So what you're really telling me is that these people, there's something childish about them or like them not wearing stockings. Yeah. You're trying to show me like, oh, she's more boyish. She's like free. But that means something completely different at the time. So it's applying yeah. these modern cues to a period drama And that will always bother me because I'm like, but you aren't you making these shows for people who like period drama? So how shouldn't you expect yeah, them to recognize it? Yeah, exactly, to be more educated. So it, uh, <laughs> ugh. Yeah, by it. And, and looking at the Jane Seymour ones versus Jessica's, like, there's a difference. In, like, I, I agree with everything you said. But at least with the more modern ones, it's like maybe show, like, Oh, she's wild. Like, just the wild area. Like, she, like, she's always dirty. Like, the bottoms of her skirt right. are always dirty. You know, at least there's that, like, rugged wildness to her prettiest, like, so that we can accept it. But they're trying to make it work. Like, she's like, stingy and muddy here, and she's always working, and her nails are dirty. But, like, this Jane Seymour one, I'm like, 
She looks like no. she's on the cover of Vogue. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yes. I'm like, is this like a modern, like, yeah, no, like it is just so, like if this girl was dropped in actual Lucy Cornwall, she would have been like kidnapped and like probably raped. They would have just been like, what is this angel that we all have received? Like they would have just like, their minds would have been blown if they had seen this. <laughs> Uh, it's so far removed the interesting thing in that version is that the relationship between Mary Ellen and Jem is a complete romance so they left and and in all versions I think they leave out for example that scene where she goes over to his hut and she starts cleaning it and he's like make me dinner and she does make him dinner you know, like, cause yeah. he's not, he's not a romantic hero. And by the end of the novel, when she goes with him, I was like, no, what are you doing? Like, I get that it's in character for her, but it's, it's not a romance, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like there's, it's romantic, but it's definitely not a romance. Like, to me, if this was like modern, it would be like those, um, bloody, like, biker gang uh... romance novels where it's like, Ooh, she's really good and virtual, and they're really sad, and they're going to crush her, and they're going to treat her horrible, but she just loves the thrill, so she, like, insults. Like, I just feel like that's what it is. It's like, she doesn't necessarily feel safe with Jim, and she doesn't, like, for me, like, the end, I'm just like, when she goes, I think it's her just being like, I'm abandoning all propriety, and I'm going to be lawless with him. Like, she's just like, it's not necessarily that I love him, but I, like, I've gone through all this garbage, like what is the point of Facebook like at this point like and I'm just going to go with it because I'm attracted to him like to me like that's what it is it's not like the slow burn or like amazing romance where you're just like we don't need to be together they're meant for each other and I think she's just like well he saved me and uh that was horrible to live through and he gets it so I'm just going to go and be lawless with him and we can feel horses yeah and also that at the end she just in the book she leaves without telling anybody like she doesn't tell I the know. squire, she just hops on his um She's goat. Yeah. And in the eighty three version, there's actually a really nice moment between the two and she says goodbye and she's on her way. She's waiting for the carriage to take her back to where she's where she's from. Where's that? It's um I It's in Cornwall, but it's like a few towns over. I think it was the same name as a town where the heron's from in north and south, but now I can't uh, Halston, right? She's from Halston. That's it. It is. It's the same name, but Halston in North and South is like different. In, um, countryside. This, I think I like even Google it. It's from, it's within Cornwall. They're spelled different. Ah, okay. Got it. I, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, what? But it's, uh, it's like a more provincial side of Cornwall because it's like a little further, like, more south like they're like more of a farming community gotcha that, that makes, makes sense. sense yeah so she's, she's I looked it up. thank you for doing that <laughs> so she's waiting on the for the carriage and then Jem drives up with his wagon he's like come with me and she's like no i'm going home i don't belong with you and then the uh cab drives up you don't see her her trunk gets put on there and then drives away and she's still standing there and then all this romantic music swells <laughs> <laughs> and she like runs up to his cart and he's like what about your trunk and she goes it didn't belong with me it belongs back home and then they like drive off oh into the God. sunset or whatever her trunk of all things like 
It's so cheesy. Um, I'm going to have to watch this one now. Like, I feel like it's going to be one of those, like, it's horrible, but it'll entertain you. Right. It's so bad. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Jim, I really, obviously, in real life, my husband is, like, super nice. He's, like, the most kind and caring, quiet individual. But, like, when I'm reading stuff, like, my book boyfriend, I'm always just, like, going after the gym or the Mr. Rochester. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> are you bad? You steal things. You have a wife sitting in your attic. You're my kind of guy. So like I tend to romanticize them a little bit, and so like I think like people can make an argument for it, but I'm like it's not a romance. Like this isn't a romance at all. Yeah, especially that moment when they're in town and he's pressuring her to have um to have sex with him, which which in all versions, especially in this new one, she actually goes into the hotel room with him. I'm like, girl, what? I know. And just the way that he, <laughs> the way that he doesn't even understand like what he's asking, it's just like this guy's a dick. Like, <laughs> well, that's like what well, we're definitely taking modern liberties with something that was based in Regency England, written in the early '30s. Like, society was a huge part still of the story. Like, she not, and I think that's like the biggest conflict through this whole thing is it's her not wanting to be this perfect girl because like life isn't really like that like this life that she's thrust into isn't like that because like her struggle with what is good what is bad what should I actually care about it's not like oh I'm gonna give myself a gym like that's not the issue it's more of hmm, like what is good and bad why should I be like this in society I guess it's like her character art and and also um, in all of her books, I think, especially in My Cousin Rachel, Daphne is so acu- astute with um, commentary on gender. And so much about Mary is about her being like, if I was a boy, I could do this. If I was a man, I could, you know, save my aunt. I could d- drive off into the distance. I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah, but she has to go off a gym because she still needs a man to protect her at this time period. Right. That transition into the show... I just don't think it's done well in any of the versions. I just I don't either, especially the newest one because like it really there's romance there, but it's like how they play this. It's not that he's trying to be nefarious; it's that he's so into her and they're just getting into themselves, and then it's like oh, he got taken away, and so he's not actually a bad guy, kind of thing. Like if they do romanticize their story quite a bit and really like that I don't know like that's not it like the reality when you're reading the book it is it's like he's totally taking advantage of her and also I think them making it so romantic by the last episode it's it's troublesome because early on they're they're so physical with each other and that's something Mm -hmm. that was added in and I think it's just a director being like oh this will make it more edgy this will make it more sexy like let's have him watch her like get undressed let's have him like grab her all the time and hold her mouth closed and like and that's yeah that i didn't like that at all because especially because it's their way of trying to like when you're reading this book there is that tension not between them but like daffy is like able to talk his story in a way that like your emotions are heightened like you it's almost like a thriller like first step when people are like give me a good thriller i'm like that cheeky person it's like please you recommend to do a daphne tomorrow book real quick like because it is like how she writes so much tension and like ink but not necessarily like <laughs> sexual or physical it's just like 
how story things happen, how you're learning things as you're reading, you just like feel wound up and then it's like, hey, like something crazy is going to happen. And so I feel like that's how like the directors are wanting to like bring that across in the not in their adaptations, but they're doing it in a romanticized way because that's the easiest thing. Like that's the easiest way to build tension with your audience is when you're like, ooh, are these characters going to like hate to love each other? You know, and so it's like they're building up this like tension that way versus because when you're reading, you're getting the words and so the words can do that for you. But when you're watching something, you have to have when the cut something like pop in your face to do it sometimes. Yeah, I just I just think there's a there's a better way to do that. But I get it that with okay. with Dumario's novels, it's tough because so much of it is internal, especially with something like Rebecca, you know, it's it's all in internal dialogue, it's all yeah. observations. But I just, I, yeah, I don't know, exactly. especially with, also with Joss and Mary when she first ar arrives and they have that scene of her biting his hand. I just didn't need that. I don't know. Yeah. I thought that, that was, was weird. So weird. Like whenever I would watch it, I was just like, I, why is this here? So like, it's so uncomfortable. And I'm just like, that's how, that's how he needs to know she was like wild and can be there. Like, she like bit his hand. I don't know. It's just, and it's not like a, I'm gonna bite it. Like it's just like I'm shoving my hand into your mouth, like a gag. And I don't know. It's just so awkward. It's so awkward. yeah. I'm not. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> Something I think this version does do really well actually is adding a bunch of more side characters. Like you have yes. the wreckers all have their backstories. One of them is getting married. One is a school teacher. One of them is actually like an officer of the law. And it makes it yeah. more interesting, I think, for somebody who doesn't already know who the villain is to kind of try to figure it out. And it also adds a life to this community, which it's very insular. Yeah. And that's the point in the book. But I think it works really well for a TV show to to kind of flesh that out a little bit more. I agree. Like, I really loved learning about the different, like, it could so easily be that they're all just bad, but it, like, shows, like, how desperate, like, the communities were. They were so poor. They didn't have anything. And so it's like, they needed that. And so it shows, like, yeah, I'm an officer of the law, but I'm willing to do this because I still need to provide for my family. And so, yeah, I'm bad, but am I bad? It's, like, totally Robin for this. Yeah. Like, it kind of gives you that, like, that group of men where you're just like, oh, like, they're not all bad. You know, I love the addition of, like, the vicar's sister being, like, so much more prominent in this one. Yeah, he didn't have a sister in the book. The only thing I found yeah. strange about that is that she constantly addresses him as Mr. Davy instead of my brother. Yeah. I found that very yeah. strange. Like, something was just wrong with the dialogue there, but... Yeah, it really legitimizes him as this, like, as the vicar and as this good presence in the village because you have all these other characters and they're just so pious and they're giving out food and they're so good all the time that I think it, it comes as a shock that he's the villain, you know? And yeah, like, I was almost more willing to accept, like, oh, it's totally his sister that's the baddie. And then you're like, no, wait, it's him? Like, yeah. it's just so shocking because he is such a kind person like he is outwardly like he's he's not often speaking to Victor he's albino in the book so it like surprises me like how they totally ignore that like that's kind of a thing that they talk about several times in the book I actually am glad that they ignored it because in the 83 version the dude is just wearing like a bunch of white makeup 
Like it's it Did wasn't they try to make him out by now. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't done well. It just looked like somebody like going as a ghost for Halloween. So I was kind of like really happy that they didn't try to do that in this one because I was like afraid it was gonna look bad. Yeah, well, I just feel like uh, the 2014 version, like they really could have just been like. Hey, let's have representation. Can we actually hire an albino person to play the role of, I don't know, an albino person? Yeah, 100%. Like, we're totally at that point now where we can do this and we should be doing it. And it's just like, yeah, let's just go get a fair haired British man to go yeah. and play this. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's true. You're 100% right on that. And I did also love the change with Mary finding the wedding ring instead of finding all these creepy pictures and then also Jem figuring it yeah. out because of the smell of the incense. I was like, that's really cool. That's like, that makes the world come alive. I, I love that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think this, um, the vicar is probably one of the most villainous villains that I've read in like a very long time where I'm like, no, she's clearly just bad, but it's like so shocking. Or like, and my cousin Rachel, you, you don't know who the villain is. You don't. Oh, it's Philip. It's freaking Philip. It's misogyny, I mean, it is, and like, it's the patriarchy. <laughs> uh, it is, yeah. But the whole point is that it's written in a way where it's like an argument to be made anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. But we all know what way it should be argued. And like with, you know, my cousin, I got my cousin Rachel, but like Rebecca, it's like, she's a villain, but she's not there. You know, so it's like, this is the one where it's like you're reading it and you're like, no, like, like I, you feel betrayed almost because you trust him. And then it's like, mm -hmm. turns and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, very villain. Something that I, I need your take on is when they're eating, when Jem and her are eating out in the woods, she's, uh -huh. I really like that they made the change to her dad being a smuggler. I thought that was interesting. But then I didn't like the way she's holding her spoon. And I don't know if you noticed this, but she's holding, she's eating like a total ruffian. Like almost like she's trying to prove that she's once again wild. <laughs> it, it just felt like another one of those cues that, uh, that didn't land for me. That's like, why would she, yeah. why would she be eating like that? And then Jem is the one who's like eating correctly because it's not, it's not just about her being wild. It's about her being determined and courageous yeah. and wanting to be like, she's, you make her look like a slob when that's not the point. Like, it's not the point that she yeah, doesn't wear stockings. And yeah, it just, uh, it's just yeah. a little detail, but it just didn't sit right with me. Yeah. It is. I feel like that's them like trying to capture like the, the wildness of maybe like even the setting or something. I don't, I don't know, like the vibe that you get like a Mothering Heights or whatever. It's like the scenery, like everything is doing that. And they're putting that on her. And I'm like, she grew up with a mom like working on a farm and was like probably, and like was supposed to marry like a semi-decent guy. Mm -hmm. Like she's not this crazy wild animal. Right. Like people are like, the man. And it's like the second she gets there, all of a sudden she is. And I'm like, that's not, no. Like, it's forgetting everything that, like, came before that makes her who she is. And so I'm just like, yeah, no, that, it bothers me, too, so much when I'm lucky. Like, that, that doesn't come across in the book at all. Like, she's still, like, a person with, like, conflicting, like, how she was raised and, like, what's right and how she should be with 
the reality of like the smugglers and the wreckers and like the corruption that's going on. And so yeah, when you're watching the the TV show version, I'm just like, yeah, why why is Jim the one who literally is like gr- like raised himself on the moor, <laughs> like right. totally being normal, <laughs> but then Mary Ellen, who has 100% like lived in a home, a nice decent house, and, like had a decent upbringing, she's the one all of a sudden over here eating like a wild animal. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. That's it. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, totally I totally agree with you on that. I did really like though in this version all the beautiful nature shots that they had and her being out on the moors and that scene of her getting stuck and just demonstrating the dangers of of this of these environments and i think daphne demario uses nature a lot in her novels to communicate Mm -hmm. environment and and yeah there's danger at jamaica in the same way there is in this really rough and violent nature that's beautiful but really harsh and i thought they did such a great job capturing that it's one of those, like, places where, like, my husband and I, like, get different uh, years ago. And, like, my biggest thing was we had to go to the north. I wanted to go to Yorkshire. I wanted to see the moors because, like, that's just something I've read about and that was so dangerous. Yet, like, I live in swampy Florida. And so, I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, what what's so dangerous about these women's wet moors? And so, yeah, I love, like, when she throws that stuff in there because they are just so vast and open and windy and there's nothing to survive on. And they have those dogs, and it's like so dangerous. Like it's such a dangerous environment to be like deserted in. It it is. I love when that. But at the same time, Mary Ellen grew up in a town not that far from Bodmin Moor. So I also am over here like Mary. You know the moors are dangerous. <laughs> Which I think she says in the book, doesn't she? She's like, I know what, what? I'm doing. <laughs> like, I know. Which okay, maybe it's like slightly more boggy near near Bodmin. It's okay, fine, I'll give you that. Maybe. Maybe you're more of like the coastal countryside, maybe you see the moors, you're not in on them, but people in Bodmin are literally living in the moors, like that's the town built all up in that. That's like me being in Central Florida being like Well, I know alligators are dangerous, but I don't live in the Everglades, so I don't deal with them on a daily basis. (laughs) The only thing where the environment didn't didn't make sense to me is this takes place in the winter and even in the show they say like oh let's go to the market on christmas they say christmas and and i feel like it's snowing when they're at the market but it's not snowing any other time right but they're like out out in the freezing rain in that one scene and everybody's fine she's not wearing stockings nobody's wearing any jackets or hats or gloves it's it's like you're and it's like fall also like in some of the settings and i'm like show me all over the place exactly like and immerse me in that like show me how cold it is show me how you did such a great job showing me how like dirty and harsh it is now why couldn't you have gone the extra step and like put a hat on somebody i know you couldn't have knitted a beanie and thrown that on them (laughs) i would have bought it No, I definitely, I think about that all the time, too. Like, when the Christmas scene pops up, I'm like, oh, it's winter. Like, because all of a sudden, like, that scene is very winter feeling. But, yeah, they're not suited for the weather. And then every other time, I'm like, I have no idea. Like, is it spring? Y'all are standing outside the vicarage, like, handing out people's food and the sun's beating right. down on y'all. Like, <laughs> but it's winter? <laughs> I do not understand. <laughs> I did really love the the costumes in this, and I noticed it right away with Jem's jacket, 
because it's yes. such a heavy leather and it's so distressed. And it's like this person mm-hmm. has been wearing this jacket for like 20 years, you know, and you feel yeah. that. And oh, I thought that was so well done, especially in all of Aunt Patience clothing, where you can tell right away that she's been neglected just by the clothes that she's wearing. You don't even need to know anything about their relationship. You can just tell that she's not taken yeah. care of. And then the significance of that yellow dress that she dies in at the end and that she finally gets to wear. I was like, that is really cool. Like somebody, somebody in costuming like had a really smart idea there and I love it. I know. I love that yellow dress. Like when they signed that yellow fabric and I was like, please tell me they actually make a dress out of this. Like I was so wanting it to happen. And then yeah, <laughs> when they used it in that scene, I was like, yeah, like this is so good. But again, it's it's like a really light fabric, right? It's like a summer dress. Yeah, not something you would be caught dead in in winter. <laughs> like, so like Cornwall is kind of like Florida, like a peninsula. And we have water on both sides. Our winters, they only come like for three days mid-February. But when they come, they are so freaking cold because it's so humid. And you can't escape the cold. So I'm like, no, 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 no. These people in Cornwall in winter would have been like bundled up, not going anywhere. <laughs> Not in this one's the yellow dress. It is beautiful, though. I feel like that actress, I'm trying to remember her name, does such a great job. The aunt, Joanne Wally, right? She, like, did a really good job for patients, I feel like. Um, I have some notes on that. Because I don't deny that, and I agree with you. But the patients that she portrays and the... The very modern take on it's just our modern understanding of domestic abuse. I actually really liked yeah. where she was like, No, I like this is him showing his love for me if he treats me like this, and you know, don't tell him not to hit me because I get him and you don't. Um, but then yeah. I got to the end of the first episode and I was like, Something's missing. What is it? And I went back to the book because by the end of the first episode she lies for them and then the uncle says you're one of us now because you lied to the police for us and i was like but why did she why did she lie and in the book every all her motivations come from saving her aunt because her aunt is such such a pathetic figure in the book she's just so beaten and she doesn't acknowledge anything that's happening and she's like no like she she knows that her husband's a criminal but in the show, you got none of that from from Mary Ellen. Like, I noticed yeah, that over and over that that motivation was lacking. So then it just turns into, oh, Mary Ellen yeah, is becoming like a like rebel. She doesn't want to be safe. Like, yeah. You totally confined yourself to the fact that, like, this is my life and I've accepted it. You're right. In the show, right? Yeah, in the show, exactly. Because, like, I guess what I think she does well in the trail is that mousy, like, Finnish nature is still there. But, like, in the book, she's not so, like, we're, yeah, in the show, she's, like, so accepting and just, like, listen, I figured this out, and this is how I survive, kind of thing. That isn't in the book at all. Exactly. Like, she's too, she's, she's very almost... really, like, I gotta save this woman. Like, she can't do anything for herself, and this is dangerous for her. Yes, and that's what you feel all the time in the book, that there's hope. Like, you're on Mary's side, that she is going to get her aunt out of this. But I didn't get that feel with on patients in the show. Like, she was too strong and determined of a character, and also too, I don't want to say brainwashed, but, like, too immersed in that world of her husband's. And I also didn't see, 
enough attempts or intention by Mary to try to get her out that I was just confused as to the whole message. And I think maybe that's why also the whole like, oh, Mary's just wild thing didn't work for me because it was like the motivations weren't like, that's not Mary in the book. That's not why she's doing this. Yeah, I guess it's like the biggest change probably overall from the book, the movie, is just the underlying purpose of Mary. Because yes. like that is what drives the whole book. It's what causes her to stay in this horrible situation and causes her to like, you know, get immersed in this world and like be forced to either be there when that ship's being right. You know, it's like she's tolerating it all and doing this all because that's she's getting right out. And with the show that isn't there at all, it's almost like the show is showing Mary turn wild. Yes. Like this setting, the scenery, this life turn her wild, which is why she's okay leaving her gym at the end, which is why, you know, she fights for Uncle Hand. <laughs> like, you know, like there's all this stuff. Like that's almost the underlying point of Mary in this mm-hmm. adaptation is to show her turn wild versus for being a hero and like getting her aunt out of yes. that and that like she can be this independent woman that like gets them out. Yes, and I, they actually do that really well in the 83 version with On Patience, where they really yeah. show, um, yeah, they really show Mary, like, trying to take care of her aunt and trying to get her aunt out of there. Um, yeah, I just, I just kind of missed a little bit for this one. Oh, another thing that I just remembered that I wanted to say about the clothes, th- what was so impressive to me about this one is because they're dirty all the time, it, Regency clothes, you don't really make them, right? You They get borrowed over and over again. That's why you see the same dresses in all the Jane Austen adaptations. That's why, yeah. you know, in that scene in 2005 Pride and Prejudice when Caroline Bingley's like, oh, did you see her hem? It's six inches deep in mud. We never actually see the hem on screen because they're not going to dirty up like one of their dresses. So for them yeah. to go this extra mile and just distress all these scarves and dresses and jackets and have them just dirty and messy all the time i was like that's actually pretty brave that's really cool <laughs> like that, i know yeah that's is, expensive like starting over yeah. yeah very expensive and it's like authentic so like that's yeah. why i'll give them credit for that i'm like because guess what elizabeth Bennett, uh him would be six inches in mud and so it totally makes sense that mary ellen's is constantly in mud like yeah it's just like you took so much care with the costumes. Why? Why are you? Why is her hair down all the time? Like, why is hair and makeup yeah. not allowed that same care and authenticity? <laughs> I yeah, it really is, and it's funny because she has like barely, and I feel like she doesn't really have a lot of makeup going on in this. It's almost like there's certain things that are like we're gonna go real authentic on, but also we're gonna totally do it for curly hair. And you're like, but if she isn't wearing any makeup, why is her hair looking? flawlessly wild right no i should yeah like, you're right i should have said just that just like the giving hair. me half on this like i'm getting <laughs> certain things that you're hitting this is another thing where i'm like this does not make any sense um the other scene i have written down is the carriage scene where they've now included the sister where it's um mr davy and his sister and mary yellen is kind of telling them what happened and she's um you know she's getting undressed and he he's kind of chiding her for going into the hotel room with Jam, but then yeah. you have these scenes where he's just he's just obsessively looking at her, and I thought that was yeah, brilliant. 
Yeah. It just captures those, how... Those are like your only hint that hmm, maybe something's up with him. Yeah, and also that he's like, that something about her is intriguing him. And it's, it's yeah. an interest that's not healthy. Yeah, like obsessive. That, yeah, the acting was great there. I actually, I actually really loved the vicar, even though I agree with you. We're we're gonna fire him. We're gonna hire an actual albino person. <laughs> <laughs> no, he does do a really good job though. Like, so for me, like, and uh, now I'm curious to watch the Alfred Hitchcock version and the '83 version because that scene where they're on like the can't remember the name for it, the big rock, like on top of the morgue, and he's yes. like Jim going after him with Mary and he's like kidnapping her and taking her up there. Yes. Um, like that, it almost could be very cheesy. Like I could only imagine that, I don't know if this is in the Alfred Hitchcock one, but just how like cheesy that scene and like, because it's like going to the middle of nowhere up to the top point where you can't get down. But it's like, he does it so well. It's like, he really is like crazy and impassioned and like, I'm going to take you and like, I, I don't know, like, I feel like he does that scene really well that it's like almost believable where in real life you'd be like, what are you doing, fool? Like, you're at the top, you're at the top point, there's literally no way down without getting caught. What are you doing? <laughs> kind of thing. But he makes it to where it's like, this is dangerous. I believe this. Really? really you thought, well but you thought that final death scene was, well, I thought it was not well done. No, that was cheesy. No, oh. That was cheesy. Where he's like, standing up like almost like in a cross and they just like kind of that part is cheesy but I meant like the whole like escape up the the rock and like while they're up there like arguing yeah and then there's like like, the bones lying there I I did like that yeah I felt like it was really well done that could have come off so cheesy but the death very cheesy. Yeah, and wait, wait, where he's like, Mary, you must choose or lives or dies. Will it be me? Will it be Jem? And it's like a five minute scene like, of her it's you. breathing and hesitating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why would she hesitate? I have no doubt. <laughs> Why would he ask her and then he like kills himself? And I'm like, that's I not know. that's not the scene. The scene is like no. a crazy gunfight and the it dogs is. coming Wild after West. them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like hiding behind boulders and shooting each other. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the dramatics for me didn't enhance the imagery of the book. Because you have Jem accidentally killing the sister, right? Because she runs in front of the gun. But then you don't oh, have yeah. him you don't have him killing Mr. Davy. It's like, are you trying to... Is this a Disney movie where the villain somehow dies by accident because you can't have the hero, like, kill anyone? Like, <laughs> like actually, yeah. But it's like, so is Jim even the hero, really? Like, I mean, he is, but, like, it's Jim. Like, yeah, right. He's going to no. go off killing horses. And- yeah, that's my point. Like, he's not a hero. And he doesn't have any problem shooting Davy, even though Mary's, like, pretty close to him and he could have easily shot her in the book. You know, he's reckless. And and yeah. for Mr. Davy to just like kill himself, I was uh, I was like, this isn't this isn't it. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's one of those where it's like I feel like the twenty fourteen just took a lot of liberties trying to like want to emphasize him and save him from the actual character that he is. Yeah. True Jim is totally fine. They did He's not trying to reform himself. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Um, they did have a really cool, um, cool gunfight with the Coast Guard that they added in. 
was really action-packed and then like the records are running away i thought that was cool it's like oh you got yeah, like horses really cool. and guns and sound effects like that i know that took a lot of work <laughs> i really like that yeah i can appreciate that i think that was everything that i had about it i know i ah, i i had hoped to like the show a little bit more than i did i think there were just too many things in it that were well intended but just didn't didn't land right with me the show you said yeah the show though i did i actually really like the setting of the inn i love that the sign mm -hmm. is the same as the hitchcock one i love her room how it's just mud walls and you immediately feel just like scared and dirty and when she walks into that room I, yeah i think there yeah. were a lot of really great people involved with it um it just it just needed a little bit of fine-tuning for me i think is all yeah i think so too i i really enjoyed it and thought it was pretty faithful to the overall story which is kind of like I, like I said I can appreciate it, them for their own things like they don't have to be faithful but I like when they do try for that especially when they break it up as a three episode I did feel like that they kind of fit the nature of the story of the characters mm -hmm. yeah yeah now I'm definitely interested in watching Jane Seymour like I had no idea that existed and I was like I got, I've got to watch this now yeah, it's not, I think it just needed a lot of editing. It's also a show, it's not a movie. And they have all okay. this all this footage of, like, the ship prop that they have, and it's just water hitting the ship. And it, I think there's a tendency when you get, like, a prop or, like, a really cool vintage car in one of these, like, old movies to, to, show, it to show it off when really there's no purpose for it on screen. So there's, there's just yeah. a lot of scenes where I'm like, oh, this didn't need to be that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's gonna stand out to me now that you've mentioned that. Like, every time you bring it up, I'm gonna be like, oh, yeah, there's another shot of the ship. Right. <laughs> um, did you know that they're, I'm sure you did, adopting Rebecca right now? Yes, with Army Hammer, right? Yes. He, I'm actually really excited. He doesn't this. seem old enough to play that role, especially nope. who's, who's the other one? It's also a Downton Abbey person. Lily, what's her name? Lily, what's her name? The girl from like Downton Abbey yeah, and yeah, yeah. Cinderella and Guernsey Literary. Which I, I feel like my friend Diane would say, like, she's contractually obligated to only be in period. <laughs> she's the new Kira Knightley. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But I, I'm excited, and I am excited he's younger because the, uh, what version is it? The more popular version, and I cannot remember his name. The guy from Game of Thrones. Oh, Charles name. Dance. I have seen that one. You've yes. seen that one? Yeah, it's really good. But the entire time, I'm just like, I don't know, I feel like it's pedophile. Like, all I could think of the entire time is he's so young, and he is so old in that. I just feel like it's, the age difference is made so drastic in that one. That I'm just like, I don't want that to be a deterrent for anyone who's now getting introduced to the story mm. through this adaptation. I'm like, maybe you'll actually appreciate the story and not be so distracted by their age difference. Like, I think I the, the only reason why that bothered me was that they had so many sex scenes in that version. So many. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like, need if they this. If that out, I wouldn't have worried. <laughs> it's like, don't so show me. Like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> Y'all are legit having sex right now, and also she's like probably twelve, and you're like seventy. It, I mean, that is an aspect to the story that I think also the Hitchcock version captures so well is him treating yeah. her as a child and him being in a position of power financially and experience-wise over her. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. 
but that no that's interesting that you bring that up that you don't want that to be a deterrent i hadn't i hadn't thought about that yeah i'm yeah, really I just feel like it can be distracting and people will focus on that yes and miss like the actual cool parts of the story which has nothing to really do with that mm. like because there are so many ways to show a man treating his wife as a child without her actually having to be like without the age difference having to do that for you like there's so many scenes like when she comes down the stairs dressed as the first piece of the winter and how he reacted there's so many scenes like him introducing her to all these things that she's ever seen before like there's ways of doing that without actually having to have like the drastic age difference no you're right because there is everyone else there is also a class aspect that you can totally play on that's that exists in the book yeah no, that's true. But, no, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see how they do this one because they did. They like readapted Jamaica in and they readapted um, like Rachel, which that's its own thing. But like, is is that one good? The Rachel Wise one? I haven't seen it. I've just read the book. I think it is. And so I've only seen that one and then the one with Olivia de Havilland. Oh, I didn't. That's who's in it. Oh, okay. I didn't know there was an old one. It's good. Like, that one's really good, but it's definitely like the 1950s, like, drama where you're just like, it's almost all played up a bit. And so this one, I feel like, did, it got like the gothic side to it through like scenery and stuff. It was really good. Like, you, the the whole point of that book is that it's like, who do you trust? Who's crazy? Who's actually nefarious? You know, those questioning everything. And that book, you definitely, like, leave feeling paranoid. Like, you're just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it could be this, it could be that. Like, you feel just as paranoid as the characters. The thing that I'm curious about this new Rebecca version, which I hope... It's like you're trying to be faithful to the book, but you're also trying to be respectful to modern times, is how are they going to treat the... Or display or portray the mentally ill character in that? Because it's, it's yeah. always... It's problematic because it's problematic in the book. You know, and it's not Daphne du Maurier trying trying to be hateful in any way. It's just very indicative of the kind of time that she grew up in. Yeah, yeah. But it's not they we one is accepting and understanding of those mental illnesses like we are now. Yeah. So hopefully they'll try to work around that in a in a better way. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, Anne Dowd's gonna be in it. Who? She's a um oh gosh. Aunt Lydia from Handmaid's Tale. Why am I not? I'll have to Google it. I'm not picturing anything right now. Do you, have you seen um, Handmaid's Tale? Oh, the show? Yeah, the show. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, 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 yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. That took me a while. Yes, I am picturing her now. Yes, she was really good in that. Yeah. I think I only watched the first really season. Good. Yes. She's going to be Mrs. Van Hopper in that. And so I'm like, ooh. Oh, she's interesting. She's like a really good actress. So I'm excited to see her in that role. Oh, I love that character, too. She's only there for a little bit, but she's great. <laughs> I know. It's so great. And it's just so different from <laughs> Aunt Lydia. It's like, when you ever watch her interview, like, she is like the polar opposite of what you'd ever imagine Aunt Lydia to actually be like in real life. And so I'm like, yay, hey, we're going to see you in something that isn't cool. <laughs> I have seen her in an nice. interview. She's very, she's very educated and intelligent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so cool. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And I, like, that's where a lot of people, like, it drives me up to people, especially for them on Instagram. Everyone on Instagram feels like they have to be, like, the loyal bookist. It drives me nuts when people say the book is better than the movie. 
Because oftentimes the book is the book and the movie is the movie. And like you just have to appreciate it for that. But what I love about adaptations is that they introduce people to the world that they would have never otherwise known about. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends who reads a lot, she reads like nonfiction. It's like, who's Jane Eyre? Who's the Jane Eyre? Who's Charlotte Bonte? And I was just like, oh my gosh, let me tell you. And so then she's like, where do I start? And I was like, I'm not going to start you on audiobook or always a book because you're going to like just not get it like I do because I love it, you know? But this is not your normal reading. So I told her to watch the, um, like one of the adaptations was like the four episodes. And she like called me later that night and was like, I watched it all in one day. The story is amazing. I want to read it now. And I was like, me? That's what these adaptations do. They hook you in and they introduce you to this world and it gets you excited to want to read through it. And then it, it gives you the patience to want to go through language and culture and stuff that you might not necessarily have the patience for because now you understand the overall story. You get what's trying to happen here. That's why I'm like, please do these good because I don't want to ruin the story for people because these stories are so good. No, that's a really good way to look at it, actually. I hadn't thought about that. That, Yeah, <laughs> that's a good take. Um, Have you read mm-hmm. Jane Slayer? Because I've just read it. Jane Full Air? No, it's it's Jane Slayer with like, it's Jane Eyre with vampires and like the wife is like a werewolf in the attic. Oh my god, no, but um, that sounds right up my alley. I just listened to the audiobook recently and I was like, this is awesome. My favorite will always be Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, but Jane Slayer is pretty good. <laughs> I forgot. I, I did see this in the book because it was like a whole Pride and Prejudice and Zombie, right? I love like, that one too. It. Yep. Yes. Oh my god, and it's like that. Romanticized portrait of Charlotte Bronte holding oh holding God, a dagger. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm 100 percent going to be reading this now. Uh, uh, I love this. Um, anything else? Any last thoughts you had about Jamaica Inn before we wrap it up? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I just want everyone to, to read it and give it a shot. Maybe throw subtitles on if you're going to watch the 2014 version. <laughs> right. Alrighty, so that was Galeon at Modern Life Pod. Um, you can also check her out on the Shaped by Stories podcast. She just had an episode on Jane Eyre, actually, that I loved. I just listened to it on the drive home, and I really, it was an excellent episode. So we'll link that in the cool. show notes. And then, um, tell us about your Instagram and where people can find you. Um, yeah, you can find me on my Instagram or Bookstagram account, Literary Penguins. Um, but it's spelled like. P-N-G-W-Y-N-S because our last name is Gwen. Ah. Um, yeah. And so I'm over there. I do, I, I just wanted to do extrovert, I feel like, in the book world. <laughs> so so I do a lot of video reviews where most bookstagrammers are like terrified to show their face. I'm like constantly on there showing my face and like giving a very blunt and sometimes thin girly opinion on what I've read so I guess that's my like thing on there but I do a lot of video reviews and I tried books too but it was too much work so I just yeah. do IGTV now there's um your reviews uh, the way you communicate something about a book I, I always feel like I oh I can trust you like I'll either add this to my good reads like I don't need to know and read anything else about this like if you say it's fine oh. then I'll add it <laughs> Thank you. That's like my goal because it's so hard. I feel like there's so many people out there 
that I can't trust the reviews, or I think I can, and then I get betrayed, and I'm like, I'm not going to be this person. I'm not going to do it. Which is why I love spoilers, because, like, I have to rely on them. Because, like, someone will review a book, and I'm like, hmm, let me find some spoilers about this to see. Oh, that's who I can trust. I didn't know there was somebody else like me out there, because people are so scared of spoilers, and I'm like, it's 2019, there's spoilers everywhere, the internet's I'm everywhere. I am right. a spoiler lover, and in fact... Same. Spoilers often save things for me. Like, where I'm like, uh, no. And I would have been done with the thing. Mm-hmm. Reading the spoilers, I'm like, okay, I can get past it now. Let's go. And it, like, ends up saving it for me. When I was a kid, I I think I grew up with Harry Potter. And I remember trying to read Harry Potter. And I was like, nah, I don't like it. Because everyone in my class is reading it. And then I just remember one of my friends being like, oh, just like, can you get to Hermione? Like, she's a really cool character. Also, they play Quidditch a lot. And oh my gosh, like, at the end, when the professor comes around and it's Lord Voldemort, like, his mind's going to be blown. And I was like, mm, I want to read this now. So then I, like, read, so they basically spoiled the entire thing for me when I was, like, in elementary school. And I, like, read it. And I would get to the point where I'm just like, eh, I'm not feeling it. I'm like, oh, wait, I can't wait to read it. So anyway, so I, and so then I would get to that point. I'm like, okay, no way. All right. And now i got to get to the point where the professor world pops up and it's actually Lord Voldemort, you know? Like, those things sometimes, like, get you through parts where you're like, I don't know if I would like this. But then you know there's things coming that you are going to like. And so you keep with it. Totally agree, especially nowadays that, like, what, you have a kid, like, we all have jobs, like, I can't invest, especially with a book, so much time, and then I get to a part, and I'm like, oh, that really doesn't sit well with me. That's why, especially for romance novels, I'll try to read all the spoilers, because I'm like, I can't get to a part that doesn't, that might be hot for somebody else, but, like, that really does, that really irks me in, like, a weird way, and, like, now I've already spent, like, half, half this book reading it, and I'm getting to a part where I'm like, oh, no, I have to DNF it now. I know. And the thing too, like there's so like because of influencer culture, like so many publishers and they just send books out and people feel compelled like mm. I got this for free like, because I'm not, you know, like a critic. I can't give it an actual review. They don't have time to really review the stuff. And so then we get all of these things where people are like Oh, I got this book. I'm so excited to read it. And then we get all this like fake hype around these books. Yes. And then oh, I go so to read true. it. Fix her up was one where I read it and I was just like, no, y'all all did me dirty. I'm upset. <laughs> I did not like this book and I'm mad at you all right now <laughs> because I just trusted everyone who thought it was going to be good. And I was like, never again. <laughs> no. But yeah, I just don't, I don't have the time. Like I have such limited time for this. Mm-hmm. I want to. Like, Game of Thrones is one where I tried watching it. Uh, I think I watched the first three seasons, like, four times. Because I was like, I'm going to get into it, I'm going to get into it. And I never did. And then I got FOMO real bad when the final season came on. And I think they were, like, three episodes in. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch it. So I binged it, like, all of it within, like, two weeks. And it was, like, a couple of days before the last few episodes came out. I, like hard into deep dark reddit because i was like i need to know how this ends like i've invested so much time into this now i'm not gonna wait and have these surprises happen to me and can i just tell you how grateful i am for that i think if more people had spoiled that ending for themselves they would have been perfectly content with how it ended versus being in a rage Right on. But yeah, um thank you again for being on. Thank you for making the time. I really love talking with you. <laughs> of course. No, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Thanks for thinking of me for it too. I'm excited we did this.
You gone mad? Yes! Hey, wait a minute, I'm not taking you to Helston. I know. What about your trunk and your possessions? They belong there, I don't. If you come with me, it'll be a hard life at times. And a wild one, too. I believe it. And do you believe you love me? Yes. Better than Helston? I can't ever answer that. <laughs>